morning, church. Welcome to the last Sunday of November. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving this week. We have so much to be thankful for as a church, as a people, uh, as a nation. And uh, even though the Tar Heels did not pull out a victory last night, uh, I'm still thankful uh, to be in church this morning and excited about what God has in force. I think a lot of these Reds were intentional this morning. Uh, you guys dressed it up. Not for Christmas. I think this was intentional. But, uh, hey, you know what? I, I, was, I got the game on, and uh, I went and put on my Carolina jersey, and I went downstairs, and we scored, and then I went and put on my Carolina shoes, and came down the stairs again, we scored a second time, and then I put on a hat and a jacket, I put it all on, trying to, we got to get this score up, but uh, it's, a, it's great to be in the house of God, and hope you had a great time on Thanksgiving. If you're tuning in online, thank you for joining us. This morning, and I take your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, during the month of November, we have been uh, going through a sermon series entitled Living in the Light of Christ's Return. And uh, if you missed the last few Sundays, you can tune in on, online and watch those. Uh, November 5th, we looked at the rapture of the church. Uh, people get ready. It's time to prepare for the return of Jesus Christ, as something I long for, look forward to. In fact, uh, when you know people on the other side who've gone on to heaven, you long to see them again. You long to, to be uh, in the presence of the Lord and to see our loved ones. We looked at heaven, uh, what it means to, to anticipate our forever home and looking forward to the day when Christ takes us home. Then we looked last Sunday at signs of the times. Uh, should we be fearful or faithful? And, and obviously, as a, you know Christ is your Savior. God's called us to be faithful in these last days. Today we're looking at the future, the church looking forward. And I heard a lot of comments over the last several weeks. Uh, Pastor, uh, God's really been speaking to my heart, encouraging me through this study and through this series and anticipating uh, what the next events are, what God has for us as a church and what he's anticipating, what he wants to do. And as he uh, prepares to return and longing for heaven, what that's going to be like and it should change our perspective on what is most important in this life, in this world. What is the most important? Uh, if you turn on uh, social media, uh, it's all about shopping and Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all of these things. Everybody's going to tell you about all of the deals. In fact, uh, if you want to find a deal on the particular thing you're searching for, just get your phone out, start talking about it, and it'll show up. It's kind of scary. I don't want to know how all of that technology works, but uh, I was looking at something earlier uh, in the week, and it is now on every single platform I look at. I'm getting emails from them, and I'm like, what in the world? I mean, it's, it's kind of a little bit scary, but uh, their uh, marketing techniques are, are, are fine-tuned to, to get our, our, our focus on certain things. But it should change our perspective about what's most important in this life. It should change our perspective about what's important in the life to come. And, and anticipating Christ's soon return, the things of this world should not weigh us down. This is not our home. So today, as we wrap up this series, uh, we're going to look at the future. How should the church look forward? How, what should be our, our, our stance, so to speak, our response as the world around us seems to be unraveling? What should be our response in the last days? I love the, that the Bible gives us clarity on how we should live. And the Apostle Paul truly believed that he was living in the last days. In fact, there's several times he believed that 
he mentions that he thinks Christ is going to return before uh, he, go, he leaves this earth to go to heaven. And so he's anticipating it. I think that's the, the biblical approach. I think this morning you and I ought to live in light of Christ's soon return. And folks, if you take God at his word, <coughs> excuse me, every prophetic event that was going to take place before the rapture has happened. We're anticipating Jesus Christ could return at any moment. So let's, let's look at this biblical approach. Philippians chapter 3, going to be looking at our text this morning in verse 12. It says, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. He says, forgetting what lies behind. Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, let all of those who are, are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Lord, as we wrap up this series, God, would you encourage us, encourage your church and what our time left here on this earth should look like, God, as we <coughs> look forward with anticipation to your student return, God, would you prepare us, prepare our hearts, God, prepare our church for what life should be like in these days as we anticipate your student return. God, may we get our eyes off of the world and the, the circumstances around our world, and God, will we get our eyes focused on you? Will we see our city through the, the lens of, of the gospel and see our, our community and our world through a heart of Christ? And Lord, have compassion. Have compassion on the lost. God, would we uh, pray for laborers into the harvest fields of, of this world? And God, would we be faithful and concentrating on what's most important in these last days? God, would you speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, and, and give us a, a greater burden this Christmas season to see our city come to faith in Christ, to see family members that we'll encounter during the holidays come to faith in Jesus. God, would you give us a, a greater passion for the world around us to come to know you as Lord and Savior. God, we'll be careful to praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, amen. I think it's safe to say that the Apostle Paul was a sports fan. He was constantly using sports metaphors or, or terminology uh, as he referenced uh, uh, various things that he wanted us to grasp and hold on to. Paul would describe the Christian life as a struggle to the Ephesians or as a wrestling match or a fight. He says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. A song we just sang was speaking about that very thing. It's talking about what's happening in this life. The, the warfare, the spiritual warfare that's happening. He goes on in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he writes his own epitaph or his own uh, tombstone uh, sub subscription or uh, inscription, I guess would be the word. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. What's he saying? He says his goal was that when he came to the end of this life's journey, then it would be worthwhile. Then it would have counted for something that would amount 
in eternity and something that would mean something for the cause of the kingdom of God. I love how no matter how difficult the race got, he never gave up. That's what Paul is challenging the church to do. So as Matt was telling our, our volunteer crew uh, this morning, he was saying, Pastor David's message today is short. And I was like, it might be short on what's going to be on the screen, but I'm not promising it's going to be short. But anyway, there is only one main point today. So uh, we're going to keep that simple. That one thing. Paul was saying, he says, in these last days, we could easily be uh, predisposed with all of the cares of this life. We could be trying to, to gain uh, favor and, and, and fortune and and make a name for ourselves. But he said, there's one thing that you and I as the church of Jesus Christ ought to focus on. That one thing that's most important. Paul often repeated things for clarity and for learning. He wanted the church at Philippi. He wanted Calvary Raleigh Church. The church in 2023. He wanted us to understand the most important thing as we anticipate, as we await the return of Jesus Paul says he'd let him know in no way did he think he had arrived spiritually. Even though he was an expert on church planting, he was an expert on the health and life of the early New Testament church, Paul said, I haven't arrived. I've seen several posts over the last three or four years that were, if Paul were alive today, the church in America would be getting a letter. I mean, seriously. I, in fact, it wouldn't just be 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I think it would be 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Americans, all right? Uh, the church today would be getting some letters because we've somehow lost our way. And, and as John is talking about the churches and, and Revelation and how many of them have lost their first love, I would believe Paul would be talking about the church in America today has lost our way, lost our focus, lost the main point of why we exist. Keep in mind, Paul's not a pious person. He's anything but that. He knew, though, that everything that he would be saying, everything that, every word that he was pinning to the churches at Philippi, the, to the churches at, at, at Corinth, he knew that they were going to be interpreted by pious Pharisees and Sadducees. They were so angry because they were sad, you see. So you see what happens is, as we're looking at the, the people of the, the Old Testament, the people that were so angry uh, thought they had arrived. They thought they had gained a heavenly maturity, that they were uh, complete in Christ. And his enemies claimed to have reached that position of perfection. They thought they had arrived at a heavenly perfection. How wrong they were. Unfortunately, there are many in the church today and 2023 that somehow think that they have arrived spiritually and uh, I'm no way making fun of someone that has reader glasses if you have readers and you put them on the tip of your nose you can kind of look down at people around you with that pious look of like <clears throat> I've kind of arrived and I, I wear uh, contacts but if I didn't I would have my readers on this morning so I could see my my Bible I could be I'm, you know, elevated up there on the platform could kind of look down on you a little bit this morning but Paul is saying, he says, I've not arrived. In other words, he's saying, as I'm looking down at the church, I'm speaking from a place of growth, a place where I have so much more to attain and, and, and to, to grow in my faith. So Paul, who lived perhaps the most Christian, spectacular Christian life, confessed he had not arrived. He admitted he still had room 
to grow. Over the uh, last month when we took our senior adults to the mountains, I took them on the road to Damascus. In fact, last year when we were up in the mountains, they, they kept seeing signs for Damascus. And they're like, hey, Pastor, can we go on the road to Damascus? And so uh, by default, there was no restaurant opening that opened that day in the area near where we were staying. So we drove to Damascus and had lunch, and we all felt closer to God and, and more spiritual. But as Paul is talking to me, he says, that one thing I do, he focused on the one main thing, and it's really twofold. He said, forgetting the past. If you want to move forward in your spiritual life and take ground, he said, we must forget the past. The past is simply that, good or bad. He said, we must forget it. If you were the pioneer of missions like the Apostle Paul, he had to forget it. If you were the pioneer of, of modern-day missions like William Carey, he, you would have to forget it and say, why is it so important? If you don't forget the past, it robs us of our future potential. Think about it this morning. If you don't forget the past, it can rob us of our future potential. Folks, if we spend our time looking back, we fail to reach the future that God has planned for us. We're missing out on God's greatest purpose and plan he wants to accomplish. On August the 7th of 1954, during the British Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada, the greatest mile run matchup ever took place. It was touted as the Miracle Mile. British Roger Bannister was competing with Australian John Landy. They were the only two sub-four-minute milers in the world. Now, Keith, you were running uh, on Thursday in a, a, a turkey trot. I don't know if you did a, a, a sub-four-minute mile, but, uh, you know, if you do, we'd love, I'd love to see. Uh, I'd love to have my picture made with you and get your autograph. But they were, they were the only two sub-four-minute milers in the world. Both runners were in peak condition. Roger Bannister, MD, who had become Sir, would become Sir Roger Bannister, master of Oxford College, strategized that he would relax during the third lap and save everything for his finishing drive. But as they began that third lap, the Australian poured it on, stretching his already substantial lead. Immediately, Bannister adjusted his strategy, increasing his pace and gaining on Landy. Their lead was, the lead was quickly cut in half, and at the bell for the final lap, they were even. Landy began running even faster, and Bannister followed suit. Both men were flying. Bannister felt that he was going to lose if Landy did not slow down. Then came the famous moment, replayed thousands of times in print and flickering black and white. At the last stride, before the home stretch, the crowds roared. Landy could not hear Bannister's football and look back, a fatal lapse of concentration. Bannister launched, launched his attack and won the Empire Games that day by five yards. John Landy's lapse was an old, is as old as antiquity. The sports-knowledgeable Apostle Paul would have seen Landy's mistake in a flash because he knew that to be successful, a runner must not look back over his shoulder. He must forget what lies behind. If for even for a second, we look back, 
The momentary lapse of focus and rhythm can cost us the race. Was Paul saying we can't reflect or remember on the past? That's not what he's saying. In fact, not at all. He says there, there are times that we reflect. There's times that we recall. Uh, as Paul reflected back over his missionary journeys, there were certain people he said that they are no longer profitable for me for the ministry. But you know what he had to do over time? He says, hey, wait a minute. This person is now profitable again. God is using them once again. They, they've added to what God is doing. And, and so th there was times that he reflected and how he had people he had ministered to and how God had transformed their lives. As a church, every year we take inventory and we talk, reflect about what God has done. And uh, every year in the spring when we have our, our church birthday or anniversary celebration, we talk about all of the blessings of things that God has done. We brag on God. Uh, and we talk about, you know, what God has done through his church. And uh, maybe when we have a mission team come back, we have them sometimes talk about what God did on that mission trip and how God used uh, us for, the, for his glory. And folks, if you don't count the cost to reflect, you can waste valuable resources and you repeat mistakes. Uh, every time we have a major event or a service or a special event uh, as a church, our staff will sit down the following week and we, we break down the event. We break down what happened and we, we talk about the good, the things that worked well, the things that did not work so well. And, and we make notes and we talk about, hey, next year when we get to this particular event, we don't want that to happen a second time. All right. This whatever it was. And we'll. There's times sometimes we laugh about it. We're like, oh, man, that was a total flop. Or, or sometimes we're like, that was a big victory. And, and we want to uh, build on that for, for next year. And so as we're anticipating Christmas Eve, we've talked about last year, things that worked well, things that did not work well. And, and we were sitting there talking about it. this year. I said, yeah, last year, I said, it was a little chaotic. I said, as the building was filling up with people, we had pipes in the ceiling that burst. Remember Christmas Eve last year? It got down like to, uh, like almost uh, zero, and, and we had pipes from the, the the hot water heater burst in the ceiling, and it was raining in the <coughs> men's bathroom. It was raining in the kitchen. You were serving in there, and and everybody was uh, the people were running around. Uh, Dwayne, our facilities manager, was running around trying to make sure everything was well, you know going to hold together, and and we were like, thank God. And hopefully, we don't have that issue again this year. But, you know, you talk about what worked good. We talked about uh, from the, the other night with the harvest um, uh, truck or treat. And, and we were talking and evaluating different things. And uh, I looked over at Taylor, who's sitting beside me. I said, did you write that down? She said, no. And I'm like, well, you're not going to remember it a year from now. So you have to reflect. You have to make notes. You talk about those things. And, and folks, if you want to do things with excellence, you have to reflect Recall what happened. We talk, but folks, you can't stay on a high from Easter Sunday and ride that all the way into Christmas. That does not happen. You take what God did on an Easter Sunday, you celebrate it, you, you make notes of it, but you move forward and you don't look back to the past. And thank God for his blessings, but you move on anticipating what he wants to accomplish next. Paul's forgetting what lies behind 
is a special kind of forgetfulness. Now, my wife would say, I have a forgetfulness. I mean, there are times that we forget common sense things, especially men, and where did you put the milk? And uh, you open the fridge, and it's sitting right there in the, the, the front of the middle shelf, and, and you're like, I can't, I can't see it. You know, you forget where you put certain things, and some of you, your glasses are sitting on top of your head, and you've been looking around all over for your glasses. They're on top of your head. They're remote. I mean, gets lost constantly in our house and we forget where those things are. But Paul says there are times that we forget things. This glance does not turn and indulge in past accomplishments and achievements. This year, in 2023, we've had 50 new members join our church family. We celebrate what God has done. In fact, after the last uh, three or four years, we are overexcited about all that God is doing. But church, this is an awesome move of God. It's important to give thanks and celebrate. But folks, 2024 is days away. Days <coughs> away. We can't stay here in 2023. We must press on. We must long for greater things. Paul saw the urgency of forgetting the past. He said it's time to move into high gear. It's time to take new ground for Christ. We must press on. We must lift up our eyes. We must look straight ahead. It's time <clears throat> to focus. He goes on the second part of this. He says, strain forward towards the future. Strain forward towards the future. <clears throat> My youngest daughter is a runner. She runs cross country and in middle school, and it's been awesome to watch her develop as an as a, uh, athlete. Watching them take off from the starting line, we always tell her, <clears throat> quickly get out of the way. You say, why is that? Because there are literally <clears throat> several dozen people on the starting line all trying to travel through the same small area. And so we want her to get out of the way and move forward. Before she gets trampled and, and falls and, and gets injured. And every every meet we see people will fall or somebody gets pushed to the side and they end up at the back of the pack. We're like, move on through and get on through the crowd and move forward. Take ground. Folks, by, by the end of the race, it's so exciting. At this point, they've nearly run the entire race. They can see that the end is in sight. They see the flags. They see all of the, the things that are, that are on either side of, the, uh, of the, uh, the, the finish line. At this point, they're straining forward to what lies ahead. Their eyes are fixated on the end goal of winning that prize. Peter O'Brien observes this vivid word drawn from the games. It's a picture of a runner with his eyes fixed on the goal. His hand stretching out toward it. His body bent forward as he enters the last and decisive stages of the race. The present tense of this participle is appropriate as it describes the runner's goal and desire to reach the goal. You can imagine the runner's breathing has become shallow and fast as they are running flat out for the finish. Their legs are drumming like pistons. Their feet pound the course with painful thunder. Their throat is dry. Their stomach is groaning. Sweat is flying. With one final clause, Paul speaks with the finish line in view. He says in verse 14, 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He gives us the plan. He says, in these last days, as the church of Jesus Christ, don't sit idle. Don't look behind you at what happened five years ago. There are churches that are stuck in 1970. There are churches that are stuck 30 years, 50 years in the past. Going, well, we once were the largest church in this city. I listened to a podcast some time ago about what happened to First Baptist Jacksonville. As the pastor, the current pastor of the church, talks about a church that I know all too well. It was in the city where I went to college. At the height of their growth and expansion, they had 12 full city blocks of, uh, of uh, uh, space in downtown Jacksonville. Massive buildings, a five-story children's building. I, I've told you about this church. They had a, a Jonah and the whale slide, or Jonah and the big fish slide, and you could ride from the third floor down a curvy slide and come out on a sandy beach on the second floor of the children's building. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? I mean, they had Moses standing there parting the Red Sea, and literally on either side of Moses are aquariums that go up 10 feet in the air with giant fish on either side as they parched the Red Sea. And they talked about the people that got saved who were working on the children's building as they had never heard the stories of the Old Testament and how God performed all of these miracles and, and, and their lives were transformed as they were building aquariums and things and they're like talking about, here's a church that would run over 10 thousand on Sunday morning their church looked like a coliseum had two different balcony levels and I remember sitting in there as it was packed in the 300 voice choir uh, unlike anything I've ever seen was singing a 150 piece orchestra as they're singing holy 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 the organ sounds like it's in a, the National Cathedral or something in, in, in Europe and you're sitting there listening to all these voices and instruments playing and you're thinking Close your eyes. This has to be a, just a small glimpse of what heaven might look like. This has got to be just a small glimpse. But you know, as I listened to the podcast, he talked about the glory days of First Baptist Jacksonville. And he said the problem is the church was always looking back. The church was always looking back at the 70s. At the 80s, they built the largest sanctuary in the southeast. No other church had. And he says, it became a pride thing, you know, since. He said because they were like one of the largest Sunday schools in the Southern Baptist Convention. One of the largest. He said they had four parking decks that had skywalks that walked across the road. So you didn't even have to cross the traffic to get into the worship center. They had a, 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 a lighthouse on the corner of their parking deck that went like 150 feet in the air and had a beam that was shining around the, the, the skyline of downtown Jacksonville. And suddenly, they've gone down to just a couple thousand people, and he said, we are $75 million in the hole. And it's no way out. How are we going to get out? And they had to sell off multiple buildings and and blocks of property and 
go back to a smaller uh, auditorium that they had been outgrown years ago. And he said, it nearly destroyed us because we were spending all of our time looking in the past, looking back. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There are churches that are today are saying, before COVID, we used to run XYZ. You know what they've got to stop doing? Looking behind. Looking in the past. You have to look forward and say, hey, today, this is where the church is. This is what God is doing. And we want to be on the cusp of what he's accomplishing today. How is the church supposed to act in the last days? He said, press on. It's as good. It's as if we see that yellow stripe 50 yards ahead. That jolt of adrenaline kicks in. As you head for the final home stretch, we are to be running for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that upward call? I'm glad you asked. It's the full and complete gaining of Christ for whose sake everything else has been counted as loss. It's that one for which we... Pick up that cross and follow him. We desire to know him, to experience him. He says, Paul said the greatest reward was for him to know Christ fully and to experience perfect fellowship with him. If you look back just a couple verses earlier in the same chapter, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him. Excuse me, in his death. This is the prize that Paul wanted the church so desperately to win. He wanted to see what is ahead and strain towards it. The year was 1923, and the competing track teams of Scotland and France were neck and neck. But among the events remaining was the 440. As the runners clad in traditional 1920s white came to the first turn, they were bunched tight, shoulder to shoulder, when one of them was pushed to the ground and ultimately off the track. For a second, he was down and then up again, running through, though 20 meters behind, his knees high, his head back flying. As the leader sprinted to the finish line, he emerged ahead to win. It was a famous win immortalized in the movie Chariots of Fire. What would most runners have done in that instant? Most would have waved a fist. They would have dusted themselves off. They would watch the outcome. Perhaps they would have had a few choice words to share about how their, their, their fate was in the race. But the athlete in question was far beyond the ordinary. It was as if they had this very passage in mind. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Paul points out that this is how the Christian life was meant to be lived. He says, give our best to the Lord. Live for his approval only. I believe that's what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, when he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He said his grace toward me was not in vain. He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
See, what happens is, because of what Jesus Christ has done, Paul said, I worked harder than anyone else. I was striving. I was, he says at one point, he's striving for the mastery. I was striving to be as much like Jesus as I possibly could, hoping that one day I would hear him say, well done. We're called to relentlessly press on toward the finish line for the full and complete gaining of Christ. Even though we're all getting older, he says this is the time to put the metal, the pedal to the metal. This is the time to be saying this one thing I do. I press on. I love how he ends chapter 3. The last couple of verses here in this passage Paul reminds us of the future. He says, our citizenship, verse 20, is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He says, church, there is a day coming. He says he's going to take us home. He says our citizenship is not in this earth. We're sojourners. We're just passing through. He says ultimately, he says God has prepared us for a glorious body. Folks, I'm thankful. I'm looking forward to that day when we get to heaven where we don't have the pain, where there's no crying, where he wipes away every tear. We looked at that a couple Sundays ago. Church, we have so much to anticipate as we get to heaven. As a Christian, we don't want the cares of this life weigh us down. We aren't made for this world. Our life does not consist of what we accumulate or achieve in this life. You could have so many degrees that you would have the entire alphabet at the end of your name. When I got my master's, I... Uh, Tell my wife, it says, we're going, I want to walk. All of those papers that I wrote, I want to walk. I want to, but you know what? It's just a, it's just a moment. Everyone claps as you walk across the stage. It's all said and done. It's a piece of paper, either on a bookshelf somewhere or hanging in your home or your office. You can have the highest paid job in all of the triangle. Live in one of the biggest houses. Have one of the fanciest cars. The, the word of God says all of that one day will go up in smoke. There's someone that has a neighbor. They have eight or ten high-end cars. Rolls Royce, every kind of sports car, and they don't even have a garage. <laughs> Sell one of those cars and build a garage, but they don't even have a garage. But they have all these massive cars. Do you realize that one day every one of those are going to go up in smoke? One day everything will be destroyed. Ultimately, only what's done for Jesus Christ will last for eternity. 
Jesus said in Matthew, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. So folks, if we spend the remainder of our life trying to accumulate all of the degrees, and there's nothing wrong with great education, everyone should get what they can. But folks, the reality is if that's the only thing that motivates us, having the biggest house or the nicest cars or, or the whatever, the, the highest paid job is not the most important thing in life of eternity. Jesus Christ said we must do what's going to matter in light of eternity. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love how he wraps this up because he's talking about the race of life. Ultimately, God is the one who gives us the victory. You can have all of the, the smarts and the degrees and all of those things, but he says that ultimately Jesus Christ is the one that gives us the victory in this life. But he goes on, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why is that? He says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not what, church? In vain. Working Tabernacle has a song. They sing, what you do for Jesus Christ is not in vain. It's a reminder. The things that we do in this life that truly matter are not in vain. They will not go up in smoke. Paul wants us to understand what is truly of importance and significance. Any victory we attain in this life is through Christ alone. We can't boast of anything on our own. However, though we're, we aren't striving in order to earn or win our salvation. No, because Jesus Christ paid for that in full 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. He paid our sin debt. And if you know Jesus Christ, we're not striving to earn his favor, earn his goodness. He's, he's good because of who he is. He is God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is deity. He is good because of who he is. But folks, he loves us in spite of ourselves. So until he comes to take us home, he says, church, be steadfast, immovable. The church should be immovable. When things in this world are going sideways, the church should be a constant, a steady hand that is focused on the race of life, looking, keeping our eyes focused on the prize, what Jesus Christ will come to take us home. Amen. Keep our eyes focused on the prize. Until he comes to take us home, we should be abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. So, Pastor, what's the application? What in the past do you need to let go of? What's in your past that you need to let go of? What's holding you back from experiencing God's greatest work in your life? It can be something good. It can be a, a victory. Maybe you were in the Olympics. Maybe you, want, you ran in college. Or maybe you were a, 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 a football star, a track star. And you, What is it that's holding you back that you keep looking back? Maybe you were a pastor at some point. Or you were the worship person or the, the kids director. And 
Maybe you're not holding that position now, but you're thinking, boy, I tell you one, nobody did it quite like me. Nobody. I was the best vocalist in the entire car. I mean, you ever have those moments that, I mean, we look back and somehow we remember things with a jaded view. Anybody else ever have those moments like, man, I'm telling you, I was the best in my office. I ran that entire show. If it weren't for me, they would have gone under. I was the key to the success in my position. Let go of it. I was the best. I had the nicest car in my senior class in high school. Good for you. <laughs> Mine was an old car that we got an engine out of a wrecked car and put it in there and it you know, got me across the finish line. Whatever, it doesn't matter. He says, whatever's in our past, good or bad, let it go. Forget it. It could be something, a victory, but it's keeping you idle and stuck in the past. It could be a past failure or sin that somehow has kept you in bondage and you're like, I don't think God can use me going forward. You know what? The word of God, he's the closest to mention of his name and we cry out to Jesus. He is faithful. He is just. He'll forgive us. And he'll make it just as if we've never sinned. Put it in the past. Give it to the Lord and don't look back. And then this morning... What is keeping you from pressing on for God? What's holding you back from getting into the race and finishing strong? Pastor, I could never do that. I don't have the ability to stand in front of a crowd. I, I'm not musical. I, I, I can't play drums. I, I, I can't play the guitar. I certainly can't do the keys. Pastor David, I, I just don't think I have a whole lot to offer. What about a willing heart? What about surrendering our all to the Lord and saying, God, here am I. Use me. Some of the greatest teachers and servants and, and volunteers in the Lord's army didn't have the, the most gifting or, or whatever, but... They were willing. They're saying, God, if you can use me, I'm your servant. God, I want to be available. As the church looks forward to the future, let's leave it all on the field. Don't hold anything back. Let the Lord have first place. And don't give up until we see him face to face and hear him say, well done. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning?